Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar won her Minnesota congressional district with 78% of the vote in 2018. She's become something of a national lightning rod on several issues since then and is now feuding with President Trump. And now she also has her first challenger for 2020, a 20-year veteran of the Minneapolis Police Department. 50-year-old Chris Kelly is an Army veteran who served in Operation Desert Storm in the early 90s and the Iraq War in the 2000s. He's also a 20-year Minneapolis police veteran who wants to continue public service in Congress as a member of the Independence Party. I think there are a lot of disaffected, uh, you know, moderate Democrats out there and Republicans who aren't happy with their parties who may... If we do a good campaign, they'll seriously look at us. Kelly Both once sides. sought Republican endorsement for, for a state Senate seat, I, I, but says he decided to run for Omar's seat after hearing a comment by her he thought was dismissive of what happened on 9-11. Care was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something. It's kind of a, it was kind of a slap in the face to me as a first responder. 9-11 was the Pearl Harbor of our time, my time, my generation. And uh, to kind of dismissively talk about it in that way was one of the motivating factors. Kelly opposes Omar's calls for free college tuition and Medicare for all, saying they would dramatically increase the deficit. He says questions about her marriages and federal tax issues would be fair game in the campaign. She can set the record straight. Nobody else can. And do you think she has not been forthcoming enough to set the record straight? I don't believe she has. This could be ended if she addresses it. We asked political analyst Stephen Shear if a non-Democrat can win in the heavily Democratic 5th District. Can a well-funded candidate who is not a Republican win that district against Omar? Uh, there is some chance of that, but uh, it would be remarkable if it happened. Chris Kelly is from Hibbing, where his parents are Democrats, and his dad is a retired union pipe fitter. He will officially kick off his campaign on Monday. And on Tuesday, a Republican candidate, Allie Woodbury, plans, Waterbury, rather, plans to announce her run for the 5th district seat. We have reached out to the Omar campaign for comment, but we have not yet heard back. Also this past week, Congresswoman Omar introduced the Zero Waste Act. This bill would create a federal grant program that would help cities invest in zero-waste initiatives. Money could be used for recycling infrastructure or towards the creation of partnerships with local businesses aimed at reducing waste. Waste is also an environmental justice issue. Nearly 80% of incinerators are located in places low-income areas or communities of color and indigenous land. Omar says her Zero Waste Act is a key part of the Green New Deal being pushed by several Democrats. A local state legislator and longtime critic of Ilhan Omar is speaking out again. State Representative Steve Draskowski is calling Omar a fraud. He's doubling down on these claims by sharing a campaign website he created against her. It also has a petition calling for a formal investigation. Crystal Bowie has a look. He's doing a very good job. Minnesota State Representative Steve Driskowski is picking a national battle against U.S. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. 
Drizkowski alleges the freshman congresswoman cheated on her taxes, lied about her marriage, and misused campaign funds. No one is above the law. Drizkowski represents parts of southern Minnesota. I ask what's behind his claims. If she had the same political views as you, do you feel like you'd be pursuing this as aggressively? Do you think President Trump would as well? You know, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. But uh, what I can't stand is fraud and lying. Kenza Hadaj Musa works with Take Action Minnesota, a group defending Omar. They say she's targeted for speaking out against President Trump and for being a Muslim American woman. I think that this is so clearly motivated politically that we've seen similar strategies with President Trump um, going after Barack Obama's birth certificate. Omar was ordered earlier this year to pay a $500 civil fine to the state for violating campaign finance law, but she has never been charged for the other allegations. I think it's not only my job and your job, but every elected person's job in the country uh, to support that effort to find out the truth. When we asked, Drzkowski says he has not reached out to Omar to discuss his concerns with her directly. That was Crystal Bowie reporting. Congresswoman Omar fired back at the president this week, saying his recent string of remarks and tweets targeting her are racist. Traskowski says he's been focusing on the website and has not spoken with any other local lawmakers about any group action against Omar. This week, several new laws will go into effect in Minnesota. That includes the much-talked-about hands-free law. Brett Hofflin has a look at how police plan to enforce that law. Hey, heads up, it's almost August 1st. How ready are you? It's definitely going to be something to think about. The hands-free law means if you are driving and using your phone to make calls, text, listen to music, or get directions, it has to be by voice commands or with a single touch without holding the phone. If they're doing a lot of punching where it seems like they're texting or they're punching in an address or dialing a number, well, it's not in the spirit of single touch at that point or voice activation. Lieutenant Gordon Shank with the Minnesota State Patrol tells me this makes it much easier to enforce distracted driving compared to the current texting while driving law. Before, as a negotiation at the roadside of what they were doing or what maybe they weren't doing. From 2013 through 2018, State Patrol says texting while driving citations steadily increased. But Lieutenant Shank admits even though it'll be easier to catch people in the act, he says that doesn't necessarily mean more tickets because they're just hoping drivers put the phones down. If nothing else, we want to save lives. How has it been for you? It's really no adjustment. Steve Cinquanti lives in New York, where a similar no-hands law has been in place for years. But he says that doesn't mean everyone listens. You'll drive and see people looking down. I mean, it's not like it fixed the problem necessarily. Is it an adjustment for some? Sure. It's very tempting, especially when you're driving, you're unconsciously checking your phone. But 12 of the 15 states with similar laws have seen a decrease in traffic fatalities by 15 percent. And that's according to data from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. If this keeps you from being distracted, yes, it's a good thing. So buckle up and find a nice, comfortable spot for your phone because law enforcement is watching. It'll definitely be a behavior change, which will be a good thing. Brett Hoffland, 5 Eyewitness News. So remember, except for emergencies, if you are caught with your phone in your hand, it's a $50 ticket plus court fees. Then every ticket after that is $275 plus court fees. We now know more about accusations against the former Minnesota Deputy Corrections Commissioner. 
Sarah Walker resigned from that position over a week ago. Then the DOC confirmed that Walker was under an internal investigation. The DOC documents include accusations that Walker attempted to help funnel hundreds of thousands of dollars to a nonprofit that does business with her husband that was ultimately unsuccessful. Another claims she leaked the identity of a sexual assault survivor to a reporter. Walker says she is relieved to see the complaints have been made public. She has denied the allegations and said the investigation was not the reason she quit and that she does plan to defend herself. Officer-involved shootings here in Minnesota have made headlines around the world, including recently in the death of Justine Ruchek-Damond. Now a new statewide committee is forming to investigate how officer-involved shootings are handled. Minnesota's Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington is leading the committee with the state's Attorney General Keith Ellison, who says no topic is off-limits. We are going to take a broad look at this issue, include a lot of voices, look at different kind of ways of moving forward, but uh, at this point, we're not prescribing any outcomes. The new 16-member committee includes a police union, law enforcement agencies, and civil rights groups. Members will also be looking at how the cases are investigated. Commissioner Harrington says the BCA will testify before the new committee to explain their investigative process in the first meeting next month. Attorney General Ellison says how the cases are reviewed for charges is something they could look at as well. The committee plans to turn over their recommendations to lawmakers in February. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar is sounding off on officer-involved shootings across the country. Earlier this week, she spoke at the National Urban League Conference in Indianapolis. As Klobuchar continues campaigning, she touched on what she feels is important when investigating officer-involved shootings. Body cameras, more evidence, um, fair grand jury process for selecting grand juries, uh, making sure that we do um, DNA review, which I did when I was a county attorney. I worked with the Innocence Project. Videotape interrogations, very important. And then we get to another level of this, uh, and that is in the Justice Department itself. I would make a major priority uh, for the Civil Rights Division uh, to have major say and weigh in on these kinds of cases. Senator Klobuchar also spoke at the 110th annual NAACP convention in Detroit. Coming up next on Ad Issue, we'll have Ember Reichgott-Young and Andy Brem here in studio for political analysis. Plus, state lawmakers react to our investigation coming up why they want the University of Minnesota to take accountability after finding out a former professor is still spending their money to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars. State lawmakers are calling for the University of Minnesota to take action after five investigates uncovered a star professor charged thousands of dollars of personal expenses on the public's dime. Investigative reporter Eric Rasmussen broke the story this past week. Lawmakers told him they either want Professor Aaron Doring fired or at least put on unpaid leave. This is taxpayer dollars. These are student dollars. Swift reaction from Minnesota lawmakers. How do you afford your rock and roll lifestyle? One channeling 90s rock lyrics. Well, apparently the taxpayers and students are paying for your rock and roll lifestyle. Middle of nowhere in a tent. In response to this Five Investigates report, we found the U of M allowed world-renowned explorer and professor Aaron Deering to charge years of his personal expenses on his university-issued credit card. Thousands on first-class flights with girlfriends, listing two of them as consultants. Did you provide any PR consultation? 
nothing. Even buying one of them designer coats all on the public's dime. I think policies and procedures need to be tightened. Senator Paul Anderson chairs the state Senate's Higher Education Committee. He and others not satisfied with this response we got from the dean of the College of Education. Do you think Aaron Deering should remain with the University of Minnesota? Um, Aaron, Aaron Daring is a tenured full professor. This is not a situation where people should be protected. They should be accountable for their actions. Late Tuesday, the U of M's new president, Joan Gable, sent this email to all faculty asking everyone to review the U's expense policy, writing, it only takes an instance or two of falling short to damage the public trust. Now at least three lawmakers are urging Gable and the university to go a step further. If we say all university employees who have a card we're going to look at all of your expenses and ask questions. If there's nothing to hide, nobody should have a problem with that. Eric Rasmussen, 5 Eyewitness News. 5 Eyewitness News contacted the Hennepin County Workhouse where Aaron Deering is serving time for domestic assault and asked again to speak with him, but we have not yet heard back. And I misspoke a moment ago when I said it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was actually tens of thousands of dollars. Either way, it's a lot of money. Yes, it is. And Andy Brem and Ember Reich got young here for political analysis. For many years, the University of Minnesota has been under pressure to reduce administrative expenses. More money toward uh, students and education, less on these overhead expenses. I imagine this is an example of why. Well, it certainly is. I mean, actually, the Wall Street Journal did a story a number of years ago that talked about the University of Minnesota. I think added a thousand administrators from 2000 to about 2012. I mean, it's, it's crazy of the bureaucracy that's uh, existing at the University of Minnesota, which doesn't tamp down on wasteful spending, but actually creates it. So the University of Minnesota, with its new president, needs to do an overhaul and, and make sure it's spending money more wisely. This is not time to raise tuition, but uh, stop the waste. And former President uh, Eric Kaler had started that process, had cut overhead by millions of dollars, and I know the new president, Gable, uh, has the same goal to continue keeping that down, and you saw the letter there, Ember, that she sent to everybody at the university. Uh, but this is something that, that we have to keep our eye on. Absolutely. And yes, the legislature has oversight of that. But President Gable now is in the driver's seat. There's been a change of leadership. This is the time to make it clear that this will not be tolerated. There should be a no-tolerance policy. She is the one to institute that. The one thing you can't do a lot about is the tenured professor issue. Uh, it's very hard to, to get rid of a tenured professor. Well, I mean, tenure can serve a purpose. It rewards good professors. But again, we need to get professors that are teaching aggressively. There are many professors at the University of Minnesota that don't do any teaching whatsoever. So again, it's about utilizing these great minds. Uh, people that want to make a career out of teaching is a wonderful thing. But again, we can be a lot smarter about this. And especially, and especially people who are paying a lot of money in tuition, taking a lot of student debt, they hate to see this type of, of spending. Absolutely, and I don't think tenure protects you from fraud, and I right. think some of these allegations would, would withstand that standard. All right, let's talk about the 5th District Congressional uh, race, if you will. The campaign really hasn't totally gotten underway, but there's an Independence Party candidate. He's a military veteran, a Minneapolis police officer. Uh, we introduced you to him at the top of the show. Still, it's an uphill climb. Uh, this seat has been in Democratic hands for more than 50 years. Well, it has, but it hasn't been represented. I mean, I mean, this has been such an outrageous embarrassment, not only for the district, but for the state. I mean, Representative Omar, uh, and many of us were saying this before she was elected, is so unqualified um, that I think anything can happen. I think he's an outstanding candidate uh, based on uh, what we saw earlier in the show, and, and I, I hope she's challenged, but I, I think it would be great to see her lose that seat. Now, again, Ember, to illustrate, I think we have a graphic of how long this has been in Democratic hands. You can see going all the way back to Don Frazier, then Martin Sabo, Keith Ellison, Ilhan Omar, 
She won with 78% of the vote. Keith Ellison routinely won with votes in the 60s. Uh, very difficult, especially for a Republican. He's trying to go at it as an Independence Party candidate. Does that give him a slightly better chance? Well, actually, that does, because he goes to the general election and allows Republicans and independents to join forces if they wish to have a, a vote against her. However, I see in your package that there's a Republican candidate. That will clearly split the vote, so there would be no chance whatsoever. Nevertheless, she will have to be in a conversation. That's important. There are still questions unanswered about her past, and she ne needs to clarify those. And there still may be a Democratic primary. We don't know if somebody decides to challenge her, so we'll see what happens. There are just about 30 seconds left. We won't get real deeply into this, but uh, at the Department of Human Services and now Department of Corrections, there have been management issues near the top. This is pretty typical, I think, of any new administration. You're going to have some pitfalls along the way. There's always some growing pains. But again, I mean, Governor Walls promised one of the most transparent administrations uh, in history. We have not seen that. We've also seen not much, you know, functionality. I mean, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services really represents about a third of state spending. I mean, this is serious stuff. You need your best people uh, on the ball. So it's very, very troubling. And the Corrections Department's been in the spotlight recently because of things that have gone on in the Corrections Department. So uh, another stumbling block for the administration. And these, some of these things could have been avoided. The administration needs to take hold. And I think overall, there needs to be investigations and clarity for everyone. Okay, but again, not atypical of any new administration when you have new people in place and then you find out these things happen. So, Ember and Andy, thanks for being here. Coming up, Catherine Tanucci and Brian McDaniel will be here in studio. Face-off is coming up next. We'll talk about the Mueller hearings. This week, all eyes on Capitol Hill were on Robert Mueller as he testified before two House committees about the findings in his report into Russian meddling in the 2016 elections. From the start, House Democrats sought to flip the script when it came to President Trump claiming the report exonerated him. It's our quote of the week. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. And back now for face-off. Have you ever been totally exonerated of anything? Uh, not even close, but I did spend a couple minutes in law school once, and I'm not sure that anyone there did. <laughs> Brian McDaniel, Catherine Tanucci, thank you both for being here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about these hearings and about what we did or did not find out. I think, uh, Catherine, what we really learned is that there was nothing new from what we had already learned in the report that came out months ago. That's true. There is nothing really new. Mahler stuck to the script and stayed within the bounds of the report. Um, it was really the movie version, right, for those of us who didn't read the full report a few months ago. But, but nothing new in terms of what we learned, and I also suspect in terms of what comes next. Even when the president has said before, I was totally exonerated, pe people realized that he had not been totally exonerated. But Mueller had to clarify uh, a misstatement he made in the first hearing, in, in the second hearing, saying we also didn't find uh, enough evidence to charge him with obstruction. Uh, that was a key element that I think has yeah. been lost a lot. Yeah, I mean, this, like almost everything, that, you know, in this kind of saga, gives anybody who wants to find something exactly what they want. The people who want to impeach are saying, ha-ha, it's all here. The people who want to say that Trump is free and clear say, ha-ha, it's in here. We all know that all it shows was there wasn't enough to go forward with anything. Um, and uh, I think the, the big loser in this is Mueller himself because, you know, he did not 
perform very well as far as, you know, knowing what was in the report or, you know, his delivery. And I think a lot of Democrats were really hoping for the, the forceful uh, Mueller of old to come out and give them some dramatic sound bites they could use to bolster their case. And they simply didn't get that. It didn't happen. And I'm really, I'm not, at this point, not even sure why. We have no shortage of dramatic, uh, embarrassing sound bites that we, that, or, I mean, that implicate the president in any number of various inappropriate or criminal activities. So it's, it's not like one new one is going to do the trick here, right? Like there seems to be um, some, some mismanaged expectations. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it yeah. because the, the way it, it came out, I think a lot of Democrats were in some ways kind of foaming at the mouth going, this is going to be the thing that lets us get to impeachment hearings. And they're still talking about that. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, they're still talking, but the Democrats aren't sure that it's good strategy or even if there's enough to go forward. Well, they're with. divided on that. They're issue. divided for sure. Um, but, 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 you know, the issue is, is that no one's on the fence about Trump on this. Everyone's made up their mind. So either the Democrats either have to do it or not do it. But, you know, there's not going to be one more thing that, you know, kind of pushes people over the edge. And Speaker Pelosi is clearly concerned about what impact it might have on the 2020 elections if, in fact, it starts to look like a witch hunt, even though uh, Mueller said it's not a witch hunt. If it starts to look like one, that could turn off some voters. That could backfire. At the same time, she's and other Democrats in leadership are looking to build that long-term case, right? Like, they don't want to see us move forward with impeachment right now. This is something that should be litigated in the 2020 elections. And so we'll see. And if, if the 2020 elections were held today, what impact would all of this have? I think this would have none. I think it's still a referendum on Trump, not even, not even the things he's done, but more his personality and style. So I think that they could have the election today. And other than not knowing who the Democrat is, all the, all the lits written against Trump already. Yeah, because if the election were based on the economy, uh, Trump would win hands down. Yeah. But as we know, it's going to be about much more than that, mm -hmm. no question. Catherine and Brian, thanks for being here. Still ahead on that issue, a big fish making a giant splash in the lives of some young boys out in Edina. Coming up, where they found a massive six-foot sturgeon. It's right here, right here, right here. It's right there, it's right there. Get it on, get it on. My favorite story of the week, this big fish being called a local celebrity. Two young boys made the amazing catch in Minnehaha Creek in Edina. After getting the sturgeon out of the water, they wrestled and released it after they measured it at more than six feet long. The two boys named Owen and Mac told us their plan to catch the fish was in the works for weeks, and now the DNR is trying to catch it. They want to get it into deeper water. It's 70 years old. They want it to survive a little bit longer. We like to see what you have to say about that issue. Send us your feedback and let us know what issues you'd like to see on the show. Just write to at issue at kstp.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching my name, Tom Hauser, or at issue. You can also find us on Twitter at thauserkstp. That is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week.